0: Hey everyone, welcome to the Gate Alliance Church. We're so glad you could join us for this week's podcast. If you have any questions or want to learn how you can be more engaged in our church, check us out online at thegatechurch.ca. Thanks for listening and enjoy this week's podcast. Can you remember who told you about the Lord that led you to say, Lord, I want you to be the king of And savior of my life. Maybe it was a parent. Maybe their parent led them. Maybe it was a friend. But someone somewhere through the history of your story. Someone told someone about the Lord. So it trickled down. And they told you. I'm saying that because you have an opportunity to change someone's lineage and their history. Just with this. The Alpha card, invite someone. You say, I don't have to get to evangelism. I don't either. I love, I wish I did. I love people who can just come and talk to people. But you have the ability to say, look, I'm going to Alpha. Would you come with me? I'm learning more about who God is. And that there's more to life than this. Take what, the cards are right there. Make sure you have the opportunity to help be that person that someone did for you. And invite them to know Jesus. Well, this is a new series leading up to Easter called Here to Healing. Here is where there's brokenness. Here is where you are in your life right now, which something that needs to be restored. Can you think of anything like that in your life? Uh, This is the place where you are living right now. It is where you are hurting right now. And you want to move from here to healing. You've been here too long. This, This is tiring. And you want to move to healing. Between now and Easter, we're going to walk down that road from here The healing towards, uh, restoration. And the fact is, is that, uh, there's, there's physical healing we need in our lives. We're going to talk about that today. There's also, uh, emotional healing for our minds. Talk about that next week. And spiritual healing for our souls. And then we're going to have Easter. Talk about the victory of healing. So we're going to begin with, uh, physical healing today. And, um, I have discovered something. Ron and I were just talking about this. That my mind, I still feel like I'm 24 years old. My body hasn't cooperated with that. Uh, I, my body keeps reminding me and, and, you know, that no, you can't do what you did when you were 24. Um, it's just not possible. It happens. We get older. Our bodies break down. Do you realize that? Doug, you turned 83 today, is that right? 83? Is that your testimony? I find out my body's not what it was, (laughs) but we're glad for that. (laughs) Happy birthday, my friend. And I realized this truth on August 18th of last year. My anniversary. And I thought, what can I do for my wife? Something that she loves. And she loves going for walks. Um, guys, we don't do that. I mean, if we're gonna go for a walk, there has to be a purpose, like golf, or you know. Dave and I will go for a walk with some of the car to the sushi restaurant. That's about it. But, but girls love going for walks. And, uh, so I'll give my, I'll go say to my wife, I'm going to, let's go for a walk. She'll love that. But where? So I went to my dentist, uh, and the talking to the dental hygienist and she says she loves walking. and said, well, can you tell me where there's good places to walk? Because uh, my wife loves to walk. I want to take her for a walk for her anniversary. And she said, well, you, there's an app you can get called Trails. And it will list all the places in your area where you can go for a walk. It'll rate, it'll rate them how easy they are. Are they moderate? Are they dangerous? So I get out my trail app, and on, on that day, on August 18th, last year, I said, honey, I take, go for a walk with you. Oh, she's so excited. Oh, this is so good. And I look at this, this trail app. Well, here's one. This one says it's easy. It's called the Niagara Gorge. <laughs> they lied. <laughs> Big time. In fact, the upgrade, somebody made a mistake because now they, they rate it different. Now it says, make sure your will and affairs are in order before you go down on this trail. <laughs> and so I, I we go to there and I park the car. It says it takes 40 minutes. I said, I'll put an hour of parking in because, you know, it'll take me extra 20 minutes with this body. There, there were signs that I was making a mistake that I should have yielded and take heed of. I mean, it was August 18th. It was a hot day. Walking down, I'm sweating walking down. Like, these are the railroad ties, and you're like stepping like this, and over these boulders and stones, and sometimes the path is washed out, and I'm sweating going down. I never thought, Mark, you think it might be harder getting back up? And then, I really, I mean, I mean, there's people walking up, younger than I am, like young people in their thirties, and, and, and I remember this group walking by, and this girl muttering to herself, never again, never again. (laughs) I should have, I should have figured this out. God said, I'm giving you signs, Mark. Wake up. We got to the bottom, man. I'm telling you. I actually offered a guy 20 bucks to carry me up. <laughs> he looked at me and said, you don't have enough money for <laughs> me to do that. I thought about calling an Uber Would they come down and get me. But uh, we made it back up. And it was a good walk, wasn't it? You know what's funny? Because we, we were talking about two weeks ago. When's the last thing you did that was really fun? And we said that. Even though as hard as it was, it was fun because we made it. I, what I want to do now is go down like 10 or 20 steps and turn around, wait for someone to come up, pretend like I just went to the bottom coming up. Yeah, it was tough. That was good. That was good. <laughs> well, we're focusing on healing today because our bodies are broken because we live in a world that is broken. And the good news is that Jesus focused very much of his ministry on Healing. The, the spiritual, definitely, the, the ultimate. The emotional, which we'll look at. And even the physical, which we'll look at today. We read this in Matthew 9, 35. And you have your sermon notes. You know, this is a good thing. Because why do you have sermon notes? is Because you want to remember what was said. You, I have a guy, a friend of mine, he's probably watching day, Timothy in New Mexico. He always said, he always would take out his sermon notes and say, wow, like I've read those scriptures again. They were so helpful. Thank you. So I, I know that that's important for us to remember. Not just to sit and listen to that when home. And the first scripture on your sermon notes is this from Matthew 9.35. Reminds us, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues, announcing the good news about the kingdom. We understand that. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. And I'm going to do something different in this message I've never done before. And what's the 33 years of doing this? I'm going to give you at the very beginning the three points of the message. I'm going to tell you what they are right up front. I'm not going to give you the one and talk about it and two and talk about three and talk about it. I'm going to give all three points that that play into every healing story we're going to hear today. And so in your sermon notes, you can fill in these blanks. We're going to talk about the points. We'll give you the points, and then we're going to talk about them. Number one, this is so important. Number one, that this is what this is what is common in every person we're going to talk about in healing today. Number one, they initiated the healing process with Jesus. They initiated it. That is, they would begin. They would be the one coming to Jesus. So watch for this. I don't, I don't remember, and there's probably somewhere, but I don't remember where Jesus goes and says, Hey, does anybody want healing today? People sought him out. They, they, they would come calling his name. They would come running and bowing at his feet. And the same way this morning at the end of the service, we're going to have a time. Do what the Bible says, and anoint you with oil for healing, if you would come and initiate today, God, I'm coming to you. Secondly, this is important. They verbally declared to Jesus their need for healing. So they come to him, but then in every instance, they declare they need healing. And the stories we'll look at today, we'll see that. In every case, the, the, the person had to come in some way, put aside their pride, look for that, humble themselves, and say, I need this. And it didn't matter if there was uh, people all around them, they would still declare their need. It didn't matter if they were an important person or an insignificant beggar, they would cry out, they would confess, they would bow before the Lord. So don't miss that part. I believe it's an important part in the process of healing. And finally, this is huge. They demonstrated faith in Jesus for healing. That's a key part. Because you ever noted how often Jesus would bring faith into the process of healing? Jesus often would give an assignment sometimes to a faith looking, or a person looking for healing. He would, he would put mud on a blind man's eyes and say, now go wash in the pool. He could have done it right then, right there. But he put mud on his eyes, you know, go wash, and you'll be healed. Remember the ten lepers we talked about? They came diseased and sick, crying out, heal us. And Jesus could have healed them right on the spot, but he said, no, go and present yourself to the priest, because that's the man who can officially declare you clean. Go. So they left. Jesus, not healed, still sick, walking to the priest, who's going to say you're clean when they're not clean. But they had faith, and on the way it says, they were Healed. Notice today how many times the word faith comes up in the conversation in the healing process with Jesus. So as we tell the stories today, look for how the person initiated the healing process with Jesus, how secondly they declared their specific need to Jesus, and how they confessed and demonstrated their faith in Jesus. So we're going to begin. Word about Jesus was becoming more and more widespread. People were both amazed at what he said and what he did. And everywhere Jesus went, there was a, there was a crowd around him. Crowds of people gathered around him. Because in these crowds, people anticipated something amazing is going to probably happen today. The people had come to know that wherever Jesus was, miracles would happen. And they heard about the blind beggar Jericho, for example. Remember, his name was Bartimaeus when Bartimaeus knew that Jesus was close by, he began crying out unashamedly, Son of David, have mercy on me. And his cries were a nuisance to everybody around him. In fact, they said, and I'm quoting scripture, be quiet, Bartimaeus. We can't hear what Jesus is saying and over your crying, and it's such a nuisance. But unlike the crowd, Christ was interested in the cries of Bartimaeus. He called for the blind man to come over to him. Come, Bartimaeus, he said, come, I want to talk with you. And then he asked the question, how can I help you? And, you know, everybody watching would have thought, well, it's kind of obvious, isn't it, Jesus? Like, he's blind. He wants his sight restored. And yet Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? So Bartimaeus cries out, seeks Jesus, and then declares, I want to be healed. I want to see." Jesus replied, "Go, for your faith has healed you." And what is faith? Well, the Bible explains to us faith this way: Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the evidence of things we cannot see. Now, I want to let those four first four words sink in. Faith shows the reality. Just pause on that. Camp on that for a moment. Faith shows the reality. Faith doesn't turn something false into something real. Faith doesn't conjure up something which does not exist. Faith shows what is there already. You have faith in God. You may not see him, but it does not mean he is not real, that he's not there. He is, he, he he's here and he heals. And understand this. <clears throat> The greatest act of healing he performs is the miracle he does for the one with faith at the moment of their death. Jesus raised Lazarus from death. Remember that? That was great a great miracle. Lazarus was dead in the tomb. Opened up the tomb, Lazarus comes walking out, walking on the earth again. That is a great miracle. Jesus still does great miracles. He heals the body, heals our damaged emotions, But the greater miracle awaits you. It's the miracle of what lies for those who follow him, who have faith in him. Jesus talks about this greatest miracle in John 14, 3, where he talks about the moment when you and I take our last breath in this place. And he says to those who follow, those who have faith, when everything is ready, that is when when you go, when you die, Jesus says, I will come and get you so that you will always be where I am. So Jesus does great miracles, but the greatest is yet to come. That's not a cop-out. That's a reality and a promise. The people in the crowd will never forget the transformation they saw in the life of Barnabas that day. They'll never forget how his eyes lit up as he beheld his world for the very first time. They'll never forget the the expression of, of sorrow in his face turning to one of joy. And perhaps something like this, they thought something like this would happen today as they follow Jesus, this crowd around him. Perhaps today Jesus would break the silence of a deaf ear, open the eyes of the blind, cure leprosy. Perhaps today they will see Jesus turning sorrow into joy once again. So they're following. They're, they're watching. They're pressing in. And just then a man came running up to Jesus that day. He threw himself at the feet of Christ. He began crying. Obviously, he's troubled about something, this man. And they wondered to themselves, is this just another beggar? Was this another diseased man waiting, wanting to be whole? And when the man looked up to the face of Jesus, they were shocked and very surprised to see that this was no other than Jairus, the ruler of the synagogue. And why would such a man of high position, of such great respect like Jairus, humble himself this way? Crying at the feet of Jesus. Why would the ruler of the synagogue, a position which really was um, at odds with Jesus, completing and begging to him this way? What would Jairus' friends say if they saw him crying at the feet of Christ? What would the Pharisees think if they knew that the ruler of their synagogue was humbling himself for Jesus this way? So Jairus begins to speak. Jesus, my little girl's at home dying. (sighs) Now we know why. And Jairus begs Jesus to come and put his hands upon the life of his dying girl so that she could be healed. And Jairus, he's a big man in the community in the eyes of people. But in the eyes of God that day, he grew even larger as he humbled himself, sought Jesus out for healing. So Christ leaves with Jairus. He he he, and he's walking towards Jairus' home. And the crowd, well, they're following. They're they're all pushing around him, and and they want to see the outcome of this new crisis. What will happen? And they try to press in as close as they would, lest they miss something. Veronica, tradition says, was her name was Veronica was one of those in the crowd who came to see Jesus that day. She too heard about the stories of Jesus and the miraculous healing he could do in the lives of people. And she came hoping that she might be healed from the the, the hemorrhaging problem which had played her for 12 years. And she had spent all her money, the scripture says, all her money on doctors, but none of them could heal her. In fact, the Bible says she even got worse. Christ was her last final hope. But now she's watching Jesus being whisked away by Jairus to his house to heal his daughter. What would she do? Veronica, as he didn't think very highly of herself, so her bleeding had caused her to be declared unclean by religion. It caused her to be separated from friends and family. And her illness had caused her to be poor. And I can see her saying to herself, I just shouldn't bother Jesus. I mean, he's on his way to help an important man, the ruler of the synagogue, Jairus. Who am I to bother him now with my problem? But she followed. She followed wondering, what should I do? This is my opportunity. You see, her problem wasn't the kind of thing one blurted out in the midst of all these people. Jairus was willing to humble himself and declare his need for Jesus, but she wasn't ready to do this yet. But she wanted to be healed so badly. Why can't, why can't she just keep this private and quiet? But, I mean, why are all these people around? Like, they just want to see what's happening. They're just curious onlookers. Why are they here? She knew somehow and some way at this time she had to make some sort of attempt for restoration. As she followed the crowd, Veronica began to debate with herself. Should I go up to him and just ask him for help? Maybe I should, maybe I should just do that. But there's so many people around, why? And then she had a thought. Maybe I go about this discreetly. If I could just get close enough to, to touch Jesus, or or if I could just get close enough to touch his robe, I would be healed. That way I don't have to bother Jesus that way I don't have to make a public declaration of my problem. So with that idea, with that belief in mind, Veronica began to make her way through the crowd. She pushed herself closer and closer to the center of this multitude of people around Jesus. And when she was just close enough, she would reach out and touch one of the tassels on his robe. And immediately, the bleeding Stop. But then Jesus stopped. And when Jesus stopped, the crowd stopped. What could be a matter that people are wondering, why did Jesus suddenly stop? We're on the road to Jairus' house. What's going on? Jesus, the Bible says, had sensed, had knew that healing power had went out from him. And he looked around the crowd and said, who touched my robe? The disciples, always quick to give an answer, said, Lord, there are many people in this crowd pushing up, brushing up against you, and yet you ask who touched me? But they didn't understand or trying to give an answer to a question they did not get. But Veronica knew what he meant. Veronica knew what Jesus meant. She knew she was the one who Jesus was talking to about in this crowd. So she came forward, fell at his feet, explaining, declaring, declaring, her whole story, what she had done. And tears running down her cheeks, she she confessed both her lack of self-esteem to the embarrassment of coming forward and asking Jesus for healing. And the people heard this story, and suddenly they began repeating it to one another. All she did was touch his robe, and she was healed. Others exclaimed, like, what kind of power does Jesus have that one just touched his robe? But Jesus was quick to clarify what it had happened that day. What made this woman well? It wasn't the tassels. We, we put our faith in things that really we shouldn't. Jesus said this, daughter, your faith has made you well. Not, not my robe. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. Wow. Well, the time for rejoicing over Veronica suddenly came to an abrupt end because a messenger had come from Jairus' house saying that his daughter had died. And Jesus had made, you know, the blind see. He made the deaf hear. He made lepers whole and clean. But when somebody was dead, they were dead. Jairus buried his hand, his head in his hands upon, upon hearing the news of his daughter's death. Hope was now replaced with despair. Anticipation of a miracle was now replaced with the dread of sorrow. The messengers said to Jairus, the messengers told him, Your daughter is dead. There is no use troubling the teacher Jesus anymore. No, there's no sense bringing Jesus any further in this story. Jairus thought he would just dismiss Christ, thank him for coming this far, but Jesus looked at Jairus and he said this, surprise, surprise, don't be afraid, just have faith. There are times it's true when all we seem to know is hopelessness. And we feel hopeless, and because of that, we tend to become afraid. And there are two different points of view taking place right now in this story. On the one hand, the friends of Jairus believe there is no hope, no sense troubling Jesus any further. All is lost. It's time now to be sorrowful. On the other hand, there's Jesus who says in the midst of death, there's no need to be afraid of this. Just believe, have faith. And one is the voice of doubt, and the other is the voice of hope. Um, one is the voice of despair. The other is the voice of confidence. One voice sounds like the voice of reason. She's dead. Yet the other one voice comes out and says to us to believe the reality of what we hope for. As we read in Hebrews 11, 1. So what Christ does next. This is the part that I, I love this. i got to tell you right now. This is the most... To me, this is, this is the telltale part of this whole story that we've been talking about. It's the most interesting part I find what takes place next. Is at the moment, at this moment forward, something happens. At this moment forward, Jesus begins to separate the people who have disbelief from those who have faith. You watch this. Jesus removes those who have doubt. It takes only with those who believe the miracle is possible. We read this in uh, verse 37. Then Jesus stopped the crowd. Remember, they're following him. They're watching. They want to see what's going on. He stopped and would not let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John. Three of his disciples, his closest disciples. And so Jesus begins by dismissing the crowds the spectators, and spectators from those who had, who had real faith. For the rest of the journey, only the disciples and Jairus would continue. And when they came to Jairus' house, it was surrounded with another crowd of people. Another crowd showed up. They're weeping. They're wailing. And this is what we read. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion and weeping and wailing. He went inside and asked, why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. Look at the response of the crowd. The crowd laughed at him. I'm just mindful now. I didn't have it in my notes, but remember when Jesus went back to his hometown of Nazareth where he grew up and they knew him. And it said that he could not do any miracles there because they just would not have the faith. Not that he wouldn't do it, that he could not. That's how important faith is. This crowd laughed at him. So once again, Jesus begins that filtering process I talked about, uh, of filtering the believers who have faith from those who don't believe. The crowd at the house laughed at Jesus, and this is what we read next. But Jesus made them all leave. And it took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. See, Jesus filters out the chaff of disbelief from the mustard seed of faith. You don't miss that. Jesus purposely filters out the chaff of disbelief and keeps the mustard feed seed of faith. He puts all the mourners out of the house. He takes only with them the parents who are hoping and believing for this healing and his three closest disciples. And then we read this next in the story. Holding her hand, Jesus said to her, "Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl, who was about 12 years old, immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. These stories we looked at today, and others that we didn't look at, revealed to us how a person would initiate the healing process. Son of David, have mercy on me. I'll push through the crowd and touch his garments. I'll come and run and cry at his feet, though I'm an important man. And they declared their their need for healing. Lord, my girl is dying. Lord, I have this, this hemorrhaging problem. Lord, I want to see. Jesus knew, but he wanted them to declare their need. And thirdly, they confessed and demonstrated their faith in Jesus. In fact, if they couldn't, he didn't bring them. Veronica was healed of her problem. Why? Because Jesus said it was because she had faith. The kind of faith that caused her to press through a crowd and touch his garment. Faith was the key to her victory that day. Faith in Jesus. Not just faith in, I just have faith, it's faith in Jesus. Veronica was healed. Jairus came to Jesus and faith, he knew Jesus could heal her. Not the Pharisees, not the church, not, not the doctors, not, none of that. But Jesus had faith in what he could do. Even when the word came that she was dead, it amazes me, Jairus' faith chose to ignore the words of his friend saying, let's stop, let's not go any further. Instead, listen to the words of Jesus. Don't be afraid. I know you want to be afraid. Just have faith. Jesus took with him into that room where Jairus' daughter was lying down. Only those who had faith. He brought with him only those who kept believing and hoping. Christ got rid of the crowds, the scoffers, the mourners, even the bulk of his own disciples. Because faith was that important. Again, not just faith in something out there, but in Jesus. No, now all of this leads us to ask these questions. This is this is the most this is important today. Pause for dramatic effect. And got your attention. <clears throat> if Jesus were planning on doing a miracle here among us this morning, who would he ask to leave the room? And who would he bring with him? Because of faith. Next question. Who are the interested onlookers in the crowd this morning? And who are the ones willing to push through their way through in faith to Jesus? Who are the ones who think we shouldn't trouble Jesus for my problem? My, I don't want to trouble him. And who is the one that says, no, Lord, you say, don't be afraid. Just have faith. So here I am. Who are the ones laughing and mocking at Christ, and who would be the ones in the room with him when he he raises the dead? It's those with faith. Worship team, gonna have you come in a few moments. We will we'll do our closing song and and prayer, and we'll we'll. Shut down the service, as it were, but shut down the the online part. But I'm going to stay because I want, if there's any here today who believe that our Christ is our healer, it's one of the uh, tenets and beliefs of our church that you would initiate and you would come and humbly declare and that you would believe. For a great miracle and certainly for the greatest miracle. This is what the Bible tells us. This is God's, this is not me telling you, okay? Understand, this is what, this is what the Bible says. If anyone among you is suffering, he should pray. That's what we're going to do. If anyone is happy, he should sing songs of thanks to God. This great looking group is going to do that for us in a moment. Is anyone among you sick? He should send for the church elders, and they should pray for them. They should pour oil on him in the name of the Lord. In faith, I brought that with me today. And the prayer given in, what? It's faith. Will heal the sick man. The Lord will raise him up. If he has sinned, he will be forgiven. So come confessing. Come declaring. Come believe. In Jesus' name. Thanks for listening to today's podcast. We make these messages available to give you a window into our church, but also an open gate for you to join in with our community. Our Sunday service is at 10 a.m. and we look forward to seeing you soon. And know that there is a place for you at the gate. Please remember to visit thegatechurch.ca for more information about our church.